With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you're listening to the Clear Money Program's online radio show. I'm your host, Helen Gibson, Community Relations Coordinator at Denver Community Credit Union. Denver Community is a not-for-profit financial cooperative serving the people of the city and county of Denver. If you're interested in joining our cooperative or learning more about our Clear Money Program, please visit our website, denvercommunity.coop. That's denvercommunity.coop. Today we're interviewing Jessica Gross, an associate editor of Slate Magazine and managing editor of Double X Slate Section for Women. She recently wrote an article about couples and how they manage their money. So Jessica, before we talk about your article, can you tell people more about Slate Magazine in case they're not familiar with it? Sure. It is, um, it's a web publication and it is a general interest website that is owned by the Washington Post. So we cover all sorts of topics, including finance. That's awesome. And I just I was just telling you before we started today, and one thing I wanted to share with other people is this is a topic that's really interesting to me because I went through this with my husband. We've only been married like two and a half years. Um, and I find there's like a lack of information about there about day-to-day couples handling money. Is right. that what you were thinking when you went into this article? I, and you wrote an article about this in case I just said that, but in case yeah. people didn't catch that. What were you thinking? Well, I decided to embark on this series. It's actually, um, all, when all is said and done, it was six articles, each about a thousand words. Um, my I was engaged, and my husband and I were trying to figure out, we had lived together before we were married, and we kept all of our money separate. Uh, and then when we were engaged, we were thinking, well, you know, when we get married, should we combine everything? Should we just combine some things? Should we keep the status quo and just continue to have everything separate? So we were tra- kind of looking for answers, and I saw what my parents did, which was combine everything, and that didn't necessarily feel like it was the right fit for me. And so I started looking uh, at personal finance books and at some of the data and research around couples combining or not combining their money um, to try and find what was the right answer for us. And was it clear? Um, no, it actually took a lot of dis- a lot of research and discussion to figure out what was exactly the right choice because i mean i taught i did a survey that we put up on our on on slate.com um and 6000 people answered it so i really wanted to talk obviously this is a topic that people really are desperate to talk about and um i really wanted to talk to as many real couples as i could to sort of see the pluses and minuses of the three systems as i categorize them. So I call people who keep everything separate independent operators, people who combine some accounts but keep some accounts separate as sometimes sharers, and people who keep 
everything together as common potters. So I wanted to talk to people from all three groups to see, you know, what were the issues that arose in their marriages because of the way that they managed their money, what things did they wish they had done differently, what, you know, had they been had they used different systems at different points in their marriage. So I just sort of wanted to see all the angles because that's sort of the other thing about marriage and finances. It's you hope that it's going to last a long time and your, you know, um, your situation and the way you feel about your situation continues to progress as your marriage Mm -hmm. matures. So it was important to me also to talk to not just newlyweds like ourselves, because my husband and I got married back in June, but also to couples who had been married for 30 years. And it was also important for me to talk to long-term couples who were not married um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, times are changing. People, you know, People don't believe in marriage, but they believe in, you know, their long-term relationships. And, you know, obviously, unfortunately for for same-sex couples, in, in most places, they're not allowed to get married. So mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of hear from just all different kinds of people um, what their systems were and why it worked for them or didn't work for them. And that really, um, I think sort of more than anything else, more than, you know, the sociological research, more than the personal finance books, helped me and my husband decide what we wanted to do. It, I remember going through it ourselves, and I'll tell people, like, the week we figured out our finances was the week I was like, do I really want to get married? <laughs> Which was one of the hardest things I did, and I didn't think it would be that difficult. So, I It really to- is. It brings up a lot of issues about it's not just, you know, obviously – most people don't have more money than they know what to do with. You know, everybody's on a budget. They have to figure out what's important to them. And when you're not just deciding for yourself, when you have to decide with another person, it just can bring up tons of issues because what is important for you to spend money on isn't always identical to what's important for your partner to spend money on, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, and it's, you know, it's an issue that comes up constantly kind of forever, you know, because there are mm-hmm. new expenses and new new needs and you might have kids. And so it just is something that, you know, continual, it is a continual discussion among long-term couples. Right. And I mean, the personal finance people, they have a lot of information out there. And the one thing I found valuable is they said, you need to have at least an annual checkup. Like, yes. Because like you said, things are always changing. You're adding a house or you're adding a condo or you're adding a child, which are fairly expensive. Um, What did you find, by the way? Do most people join their money? Are most people separate? Do you see any trends? Um, Well, when I first embarked on the study, I thought that – more couples would be keeping their money separate because increasingly both partners work, um, people live together before they get married. But I actually found that the majority of married couples still put all of their money together, so they're common potters, which was surprising because I thought there would be sort of more variation. However, um, a a good minority of married couples do – um, sometimes shares. So they have maybe one joint checking account and one joint savings account, but they also maintain their individual checking accounts. So a good, a good chunk of them still do that. Very few married couples keep everything separate. And sort of the reverse the reverse was true for unmarried couples, that most of them still keep their money separate, but some of them are sort of... It, it really depended with couples who weren't married if they planned to get married, you oh. know, Okay. If, if if they said that, you know, we are engaged or we are going to get married in two years, we're not engaged yet, but we're on that road, they were more likely to start combining money. 
and and that makes sense because if you think you know this is going to be something that is forever, you're you feel more confident mm-hmm. starting to merge. And for us, it was like, oh, we need to pay for the wedding. So yes, it's silly to sit here trying to decide how much of the flowers come from this person's account. Right. What did you find as far as, as pros and cons when you – because you did a lot of anecdotal work, right, not yeah. just data. What did you find that people said when they were talking about the positive side of putting everything together, that common potters, versus – the negative of that. Well, the positive, I mean, a lot of a lot of it was just convenience and practicality. It is if if all your money is just in one pot, it's e- it's 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 easiest to sort of keep an eye on everything and and be able to save for shared goals. Um and also I think a lot of the couples I talked to and I was sort of touched by this said that they felt more joined. They felt sort of a profound sense of unity and togetherness because they combined all their money. And I hadn't expected people to say that and so I sort of was was rather touched by that um and sort of the downfalls um or the if 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 either spouse is at all has issues with control or you know is dominating I think it's really hard for the other spouse um I think a lot of fights can come up if you use money as a way to control the other person I think that can be tough and you know in other ways it just squabbling over what what to spend the money on, what is more important for the family and and people don't always agree aren't on the same page about that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I've seen and I've spoken with a lot of people cuz I do some financial coaching um for part of my job and it's it's interesting how money can be used emotionally to control people, but also emotionally when you put it together, like you said, there's a some people really want that feeling that they're all in it together. Mm-hmm. And that makes a difference and I think that not everyone feels that, so when one person does and the other person doesn't, it can bring about arguments too. So Yes. Did you find any um so not just common potters, you looked at the sometimes shares and also the totally separate. What were some pros and cons for them? Well, with sometimes shares, um, the pro is usually you can have some of the con- togetherness but still maintain this feeling of independence um, and that you have your own money that nobody else has a say over. And the downside was that it just gets really complicated when you have, as a couple, like eight or nine bank accounts. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sort of you have to it, – it, it's it's the method I found that took the most discussion. So if you really don't like talking about money, it's a tough one because every time there's like a new expense – um, you often have to discuss, well, is this a personal expense? Is this a, an expense that we're going to take on as a couple? So mm-hmm. you need to sort of do a lot more wrangling in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, so couples who fight sort of had a tendency towards argument anyway. Uh, I think that was a little tough one for them. And for independent operators, um, the downside is it is tougher to, sh- to save for shared goals when you're mm-hmm. saving separately. Um, and the upside was, again, you know, people who, for whom independence is really the most important thing. Um, I think combining anything can, can do a number on their sense of self. Well, definitely, because... You, I don't know, um, I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but I got married in my late 20s, so I had made all my financial mistakes and learned how to do my finances all on my own, and then having to discuss with someone who had done all the same things and mold our two styles together was partially the toughest part. 
Yeah. If that makes sense because we had our own way of doing things. Um, no, absolutely. And that, well, that is why sort of it makes it more difficult when people live together before they're married because you, you know, you are in this relationship together, um, but you have gotten in your, in your own ways, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you have a household together, but you're used to doing, uh, things the way that you're used to doing them and sort of changing and being flexible, um, I think can be sort of hard for people, but I, I sort of had the same thing, you know, I, I'm also in my late twenties and got married in my late twenties. Um, and so my husband and I had both been working for, you know, seven, eight years and, mm-hmm. and had our own, you know, our own systems. So it was, I think it was really good for us to sort of hash it out and talk about mm-hmm. it and figure out together. I think it was a, sort of a bonding experience ultimately, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not one that I would say was an easy experience. <laughs> no, not easy. But no. everything I hear is that before you get married, you should talk about money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. So what did you decide again and why? Um, we decided to be sometimes shares, which is to say that we have some joint accounts. We have a joint checking account and a joint savings account, but we also have our maintained our individual checkings and savings. Um, and we sort of went over our, neither of us. You know, it's embarrassing to admit because it's, I think it is fairly important. Neither of us had ever kept a real budget before. We both neither of us had ever gone into debt or or made big financial mistakes, but we just didn't keep a close eye on things. We sort of mm-hmm. would eyeball our accounts and be like, well, can I afford this? You know, but there was no sort of systematic, this mm-hmm. is what we're spending on this, this is what we're spending on that. And we didn't make a really stringent budget, you know, mm-hmm. it was sort of, but it was really good for us to sit down and ballpark it. Um, so we, that was all part of our our process. Well, yeah, and a budget's just a plan. So exactly. whatever you can do, so you get to your goals. Right. Yes. <laughs> Whether it's home ownership, a lot of couples have home ownership as a goal. Uh, it's if you don't ever make it a goal and don't talk about it together, it probably won't happen. And that's well, the scary thing. It is scary, and I think it's just really important before you become legally joined to anyone to know what their financial situation is, because people, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people have in very extreme debt, and you know, you should know. What? Because you you will become responsible for their financial lives and and mm-hmm. potential mistakes. So you should you know it doesn't mean you necessarily they must give you a say over their financial selves, but you should just be aware of of the overview of of your overview as a couple. Mm-hmm. You should really know what's going on. Yeah, I like to say they might have all the debt like the other person, but in the end, it's both of your debt in a way because it affects what you can do. Like exactly. if, if someone has twenty thousand credit card debt, they can't put as much money towards the common goal. Whether you're totally separate, no matter how you do it day to day, it's in a weird way your debt in the end. Just because, like you said, you legally joined. <laughs> Absolutely. And what the interesting thing, and this is again anecdotal, so you can make what of it what you will. Um, mm-hmm. When I talk to people who, young people who were who had prenups or were thinking about prenups, often they had those prenups in place because they wanted to be shielded from their partner's past debts. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it, it is uh, the majority of people, the vast, vast majority of people do not get prenuptial agreements. I would say only about 2 or 3%. Um, there are different estimates. Um, but unless you get a prenup, 
as you said, you know, you're you're really res- going to be responsible and and mm-hmm. dealing with your partner's debts or or large debts either way. So mm-hmm. it's good to know what you're getting into. I agree, and I think, and I don't know if you have run into this at all, but I like I kind of like the sometimes shares to a certain point because by keeping that individuality, you can if something should go wrong like let's say your spouse dies or you get divorced or whatever, you should probably have some ability to take care of yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> and credit-wise as well as just day-to-day-wise. Well, this was a I, – I, I asked a question in my survey, you know, um, who um, who manages the money in the household? Because, you know, if you have any shared money at all, often one person is taking the lead on, you know, paying the bills and mm-hmm. overseeing the money. Um and I talked to some people who completely abdicated the responsibility of management to their spouse and had no idea what the like how to how to handle any of it, what the financial circumstances were. One guy joked to me, you know, my wife could be funneling all our money to the contras for all I know. I have no idea. <laughs> so I think that that's you know that was it was totally funny when he said that, but I think it's a mistake mm-hmm. to not know how your money is being spent or how to or what all the passwords are to mm-hmm. you know your various accounts just because in worst case scenario bad things happen you don't want to be left with just a complete financial mess that you have no idea how to yeah. manage that and that makes total sense and i think that especially um as people get older i found that much older couples who lose spouses are in that situation especially right. if they've been more traditional i did have a question come in off our chat board and uh maybe you can speak to this uh from your experience with the research but did you have any situations where one person feels that they pay a bigger share of the bills and than the other person and they want it to be more equal did you talk about anything like that I did a little bit, um, you know, if there was a disparity in income, if they didn't have, you know, a specific system worked out where, you know, I'm paying 66% of bills and you're paying, you know, 30, 33%, there were often bad feelings. Either, you know, the person who made less money felt guilty that they weren't paying enough of their share or the person who made only a little more was resentful because they were buying every dinner out. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think in those situations, it's sort of you you just, if you're feeling those feelings, you should talk about it and create a system. And then I think for those people often becoming, starting to merge more money is helpful because then it's like you're not thinking about whose dollar is mm-hmm. paying for that coffee because all the money is shared. So I think for couples for whom there is a big disparity in income, that can sort of help smooth it out a little bit. So not operating totally individually in that case might yeah. be. A, yeah. But I if I mean, you can still continue to operate fully individually, but then you you just have to if if you're feeling you know upset about the the person who's paying what, you have to create some sort of system. It comes down to a lot of communication, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, it's it's a cliche, but often just talking about it and coming up with a plan um, is helpful and, and, you know, goes a long way towards fixing it. Okay. Did you have any, like, tips for people who maybe their spouse isn't really excited about talking about it? I don't know if that was really your experience, but if you heard anything about people who didn't necessarily want to talk were there any suggestions um sure i mean you know we didn't 
we really didn't want to talk about it. We just knew that we had to. And, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. I think mm-hmm. it's really important to make an appointment to do it. I think just I think a lot of couples get into the wait until it's a problem or wait okay. until there's some crisis moment and then they bring it up. And then it's like tension is high, something bad is going to happen. Um, I think that's always a mistake. I think preventative discussions are good, but I think making an appointment to talk, making sure that it maybe it's on a weekend or maybe it's, you know, late at night after dinner, just some time where you're not going to feel stressed out. Because there's mm-hmm. been times where I like, you know, we're in a rush to leave for work in the morning and I'll, you know, try and bring something up with my husband and it just never you know, it's like you're rushing around. It's it's just not yeah. the time. And I think the problem is if you don't schedule a time to talk and just you know suck it up and do it, even if it's not fun. You know, you know, I, nobody enjoys these talks. I don't know anyone who's like, yes, honey, it's I'm so excited to sit down and make this budget. I mean, it's just you know, I'm sure there are those people out there. There are really, those people out there. I don't I don't doubt that those people exist, but I would say the vast majority of people don't enjoy these conversations. So it's just knowing that it's part of your duty um, to yourselves, really. Because mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it, it is only hurting yourself if you have no plan and you have, you know, if you put it off indefinitely. Um, so, yeah, I would just say rip off that Band-Aid and, and pick a time to sit down and really talk about it when you have time to mm-hmm. to really go through it. And don't do it when you're hungry. Don't do it when you're hungry. That was, <laughs> uh, that was my joking suggestion because I am very cranky when I'm hungry. So <laughs> my husband says to me, "You don't do well when you're hungry." Exactly. I think that's kind of a good thing to say to someone who's hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, don't say that. Just give them a cookie, and they and, and their mood will immediately improve. Right. Like make it make it not just talking about money. Maybe take in like go for coffee if you can afford coffee, and you both enjoy that. Or exactly. If the other person loves M and M's, buy them M and M's first. Yes, there's uh you can you can certain certainly sweeten the experience. Mm-hmm. So, did you have um any stories that stick out to you as ones you'd really like to share in case someone doesn't read the articles or is there anything particular I guess that I'm asking because we have about 8 minutes left and I want to get the important stuff out. Sure. Mm, let me think. Um I talked to I would say that one of the things that really struck me was talking to a couple who were a long-term couple, but they had never been married, and they were in their late – the woman was in her late 50s, and the man was in his early 60s, and they are really strict about keeping everything separate. They're independent operators, Mm -hmm. and they always want to be. But the woman sort of conceded that when – they're in their old age and when they're retired they're going to have to start sharing more so i think in terms of keeping your money separate it is something you can do when you're younger and when both members of the couple are working Mm -hmm. but as you get into your waning years it gets really really hard uh Mm -hmm. so that i thought that that was you know i thought it could always be a choice it could always be something that couples could elect to do if they felt like mm-hmm. it. But, you know, the thing I say in the in the article is, you know, what are you going to do? Say, honey, you need to re- repay me for that angioplasty. You know, you're not, <laughs> when it's, in elder, when you're elderly, when you're sort of in poor health, I think any of these sort of rules that you make for yourself as a couple should really be secondary to what's, you know, 
practicality and, and what needs to be done. So I thought I, I I thought it was interesting that that hadn't occurred to me. Um, but yeah, that was um, that was something that was really remarkable. And that kind of fits in with that idea that as you grow older and as you go on with life and your relationship changes and matures, your finances will or might mirror that too. I mean, it's never a static thing where you can decide today this is what we're going to do and right. 10 years from now that's still what we're going to do. Exactly. It's You need to be able to go with the flow and to accept new circumstances. And I think that that's worth noting in terms of income disparity too because a lot of couples I talk to it's like well you know for these four years I earned more money but then for the next seven years my husband earned more money and it sort of goes back and forth Mm -hmm. um so I think in terms of feeling like someone isn't paying their fair share just to Mm -hmm. know that you know keeping it doesn't have to be so rigid or you don't have to feel like you know, you're not getting enough credit or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's always sort of free-flowing and, and you're ultimately, you should have the same goals mm-hmm. as, you know, maintaining the couple and and uh, nothing is is worth, is worth uh, really, no financial issue is, is, is hopefully worth ruining a relationship over. Correct. I, I would agree and I'm sure most people would agree. Although finance is one of the big things that breaks people up, which is why I talk about before you get married, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're kind of nearing the end. Is there anything that you can share about Slate Magazine if we're not familiar with it again? Or if someone wanted to find this article and or the series of articles and they haven't, is there any good places to go? Sure. Um, well, the website is slate.com, S-L-A-T-E. Com. And the series of articles, it's called Home Economics, is the series. And if you um, scroll down on the left side, uh, it's under Special Features. It is the first special feature. And under the Home Economics tab, you'll be able to read um, all of the all of the series in one swoop. Um, you know, Slate is a is it's a not straight news mostly it's 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 opinion journalism for mm-hmm. the most part um and yeah we cover everything from from politics to arts and culture and um family and as i said finance so yeah it is awesome. uh, it's i think it's a great publication <laughs> and uh hope that your listeners will go go over to it and then i have another question for you sure uh are you considering writing a future series, like after you've been married a few years, looking into it again and seeing how you've changed and looking at the subject again? That's a really great question. I think I, it's certainly a subject that I would come back to, but after sort of immersing myself in it for several months, I think uh, I will I will probably be putting it aside for at least a little while. <laughs> but I think it, it, it would be, you know, really helpful and probably really interesting to give it a few years and, and come back and, and see where we are and see what other couples have to say about their about their situations. So there's no book coming out soon or anything? Um, Not yet, but I will keep you posted. <laughs> awesome, because there's just not a lot out there in, yeah. from my looking. 
as we were saying, as I, I was saying to you uh, before the show, I think a lot of what is out there is very didactic, and it's mm-hmm. telling you, you know, if you don't share, if you don't share everything, then you're selfish, or mm-hmm. it's making sort of value judgments for mm-hmm. everyone on something that on an issue that's really quite personal and idiosyncratic. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to know that it's there's no wrong answer. It's sort of what what's right for you and your marriage and your relationship. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, that's been my experience, too. That a lot of the literature is very much like that black and white. You do it this way because that's the way to do it. Right. Or I'll talk to other people, and they'll have the same opinion, but on the opposite. They'll be like, yes, you have to keep everything separate because when you get divorced, and I'm like, okay, not planning on that. Right, <laughs> right, right. no one goes into it planning on that. And I think that, yeah, like you said, it, a lot of people are very black and white because of their experiences, but everyone's experiences are unique. So we need to maybe examine the subject as individual human beings rather than as a general uh, broad brushstroke on everybody, what everyone should do. Exactly. Well, uh, that is the end of our interview. I want to... Thank you for taking the time to do this. It's definitely a pleasure to have you and to talk about this subject that is so important to me, and I uh, enjoy seeing people do a decent job on uh, displaying all the different choices that are out there and what people do. I think it's fascinating as far as the topic. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, if people want to contact you, they can probably just go to Slate.com, right? Absolutely. Okay, excellent. Well, have a great day. Great, you too. Bye. Bye. So this has been a blog talk radio show from the Clear Money Program at denvercommunity.coop. Clear Money Program is our education program, which includes these shows, free classes, uh, things for small business uh, events. So check out our website at denvercommunity.coop and click on the education to find out more about us. And we'd love to see you in person at a class someday or just continue listening. Thanks for being here. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.